So 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. If you found your place, please stand for the reading of God's word. Remain standing for a time of prayer following. There were indeed false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, and will bring swift destruction on themselves. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you for your word. And Lord, I thank you for this church. Lord, I thank you for a church that has a long history of standing on the word of God. Lord, a church that doesn't preach opinions or matters of man, but a church that diligently seeks you through the study of scripture, through prayer, to boldly proclaim what you have spoken to us through your word. Lord, I pray for this church and this community. Lord, I pray that we would be able to discern false teaching in our midst. And Lord, I pray that you would embolden us. Lord, help us to impact Candler. Help us to draw people to you. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I personally love to hear and read about statistics. I just, I've always enjoyed it. Statistics it can impact us. It's crazy how we can see how interesting something is or how crazy something is or how appalling something is. I've just always really liked reading statistics. Well, the American Culture and Faith Institute is an organization that will often put out statistics concerning Christianity and things of that nature. Now, I wasn't very familiar with them, so I went on their website because I wanted to check out what they stood for. According to their website, they claim to be individuals from every walk of life who are committed to protecting life and family from the moment of conception to natural death. They go on to say, we are committed to promoting a culture of life that will overpower and conquer the current culture of death through grassroots efforts on a local, state, and national level through prayer, action, voting, and education. We will pave the way to a pro-life and pro-family future. Now, I only mention that so you can also have an idea of who they are. I believe that's something that we can get behind. And they put out, like I said, statistics all the time. I'm going to read a couple for you. The first one says that only 6%, only 6% of Americans have a biblical worldview. Now, a biblical worldview is really identified by someone who believes that the Bible is true. It's authoritative. And then they study the Word of God in order to apply it to every area of their life. So that's what it means to have a biblical worldview. And by studying those things, that enables us to live out those beliefs. Now, 6% of Americans, that is a discouraging statistic, but it gets worse. Listen to this next statistic they put out. The Institute researched churches across the nation. They asked basic theological questions concerning doctrine. For example, did Jesus live a sinless life? Is Satan real or imaginary? 70% of the churches surveyed did not line up with the word of God concerning those teachings. The remaining 30% of churches, which comes down to about 100,000 churches in our country, did line up with the core teachings of Jesus Christ. However, when asked if they preached and taught those things from the pulpit, only 2% of the churches said they did. Their reasoning why, when asked, was because they did not want to offend their congregants so they were not going to preach and teach current issues of the day. That is a scary statistic. Essentially, 
According to their survey, anyhow, there are only roughly 2,000 churches in this country that are willing to properly equip and train their congregation according to the teachings of Jesus Christ. That is alarming. This brings us to the book of 2 Peter. This book was written by the Apostle Peter. He actually refers to himself as Simeon Peter in the opening line of the book. Peter considered himself a servant of Christ, submitted to following him and his lordship over his life. Throughout this book, Peter encourages and challenges us to live an authentic life for Christ. In this letter, Peter recognizes that his death is imminent And we know that later, Peter was executed by Roman authorities under the emperor Nero. This is a short book. It's only three chapters. It acts as a farewell speech. In this letter, Peter offers a challenge that we never stop growing in our faith. He speaks of traits throughout this book that we should all strive for. Those are goodness, knowledge, self-control, godliness, endurance, family affection. And then the last one, which encompasses all of the others, is love. There's a theme there. Remember, love covers a multitude of sins, according to Peter in his first book in chapter 4, verse 8. Now, before we dive into our text today, I want to point out this book and the book before it, and quite frankly, the theme throughout the entire Bible is love. And it's described by Peter as devotion to the well-being of others, regardless of their response or the cost. So love, according to Peter, is to share in God's own life. Now, I want to ask you, how have you loved this week? And you don't have to answer that out loud. How have you loved this week? I think about a particular issue that I had this week in which I did not love very well. Now, this issue didn't involve anyone in this church, thankfully. But it was, a, it was something that really bothered me. It angered me. It frustrated me deeply. And I was not happy. I'll be honest with you. Now, I didn't do anything. I mentioned this in the first service. I didn't do anything that would ruin my testimony. I didn't go up to them and scream at them. I didn't go up to them and cuss them or hit them. But those things, honestly, were all going through my flesh. But how did I love them through my thoughts? How did I love them when I was in close proximity with people that I was comfortable around as it pertains to how I spoke about them? I didn't love them very well. So how did you love people this week? Your neighbors, your coworkers, your employer. How did you love people this week? In this letter, we already mentioned that Peter knows he isn't going to be around much longer. He knows his time on earth is short, and therefore he is writing this letter in order for his teachings to be passed down to later generations. Now, what do you do when you know you're not going to be around much longer? Generally speaking, you write things down. I think about, there's been several instances in this church of people who knew they were coming close to the end of life who wrote things down. They wrote things down concerning uh, their funeral, who they wanted to officiate their funeral, who they wanted to conduct their service, who uh, they wanted to sing at their service, what songs they wanted to be played. So we see that a lot. We see people who know they are no longer going to be with us write things down. That's what Peter is doing here. Now, the part we are going to focus on today is where Peter is addressing accusations and objections made by those who are distorting Jesus' teachings and the teachings of the apostles who follow Jesus. In chapter 1, he addresses accusations that he and the other apostles just made up everything about Jesus. They just made it up. They said, Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Uh, He wasn't the risen king. 
Now, remember, Peter was there for the transfiguration. So he addresses all these, and he is confronting these accusations. Next, Peter discusses threats that are being taught by corrupt leaders in the church. They deny that Jesus is one day going to hold us accountable for sin. That's what they are denying in his day. We see that this day and age as well. This allowed them to continue to do whatever they wanted. And perhaps you know some people like that, or perhaps you have that mindset. Christ isn't really going to hold me accountable for my sins. And if you believe that, then what that enables you to do is be the God of your own life. I will live any which way I want to live, any which way I choose to live, because God's not really going to hold me accountable for my sin. Or you believe, I've heard people say this, God has already purchased me. He's already died for my sin. I'm already forgiven. So I'm going to continue to live however I want because it's already forgiven. That is the wrong mindset to have. And if that's the mindset that we have, we have to question whether or not we even have a relationship with Christ to begin with. That is exactly what these leaders were doing. They were corrupting the temple. They were greedy. And they were saying, Christ is not going to hold us accountable for our sins. He, do he doesn't care. That's, that's what they were teaching in the church, that's what these leaders were saying. Peter is addressing these teachers. These are teachers who despise God's authority, and they teach that God doesn't care about your moral decisions. They are basically teaching Christian freedom, but they are using it as a license to do whatever you want. We all know people who live with that mindset. Now that brings us to the focus of today's message. 2 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, Peter says, There were indeed false prophets among the people. Peter says here that there were false prophets back in the day of Israel. There were people who wanted to make a name for themselves. These people were a plague. They would essentially say, we have a message from God. I have a message from God, and then they would mislead God's people with that message. It would often directly contradict a message concerning a prophet of God that had actually received revelation from God. Remember, this letter is a memorial from Peter. He knew he was about to die, so he wanted, future, he wanted to warn future generations about these false teachers. He continues in verse 1 saying, there will be false teachers among you. So I want you to notice the different language there. He goes from talking about false prophets to now talking about false teachers. Now that's because... There are no longer prophets in that sense, okay? Prophets back then received direct revelation from God in order to proclaim that message to the people concerning what God wanted to reveal about himself. Today, we don't have prophets in that sense. We have teachers. God has revealed what he wants us to know about him through his written word. We now teach that. We have nothing to add to it. We have nothing new that he has revealed to it. He has revealed it, and we are now teaching and proclaiming what he has already revealed through his word. But according to this, there are false teachers among us. <clears throat> the first question <clears throat> that really needs to be asked and answered is what exactly is a false teacher? When you hear the words false teacher, what goes through your mind? Well, for a lot of you, you think a false teacher means anyone who teaches falsely. I'm here to tell you that that's not what that means exactly. If a false teacher is anyone that teaches falsely, I want to be very clear, then I am a false teacher. And Ben is a false teacher. 
And Alan, who sometimes stands up here before you, is a false teacher. And anyone who teaches a Bible study class is a false teacher. And anyone who has come before us is a false teacher. And you say, what do you mean by that? Well, what I mean is we won't always get it right. Yes, we prayerfully consider the Word of God. Yes, we are led by the Holy Spirit. But sometimes we will make mistakes. John Calvin actually once said that the best theologian in the world, the best theologian in the world will only get about 80% correct. And you might think, well, you know, that's not very good. 80%, that's, that's not a very good rate. Well, that's actually comforting in a lot of ways. Think about this for a second. If I could fully explain everything there is to know about God, I tell the students this all the time. We, I love asking them questions, having them ask questions, and us having some dialogue on some of the really tough, major things considering Christianity and doctrine. And I tell them, I don't have all the answers. And that is comforting to me because if I could stand before you and claim and preach and teach everything there is to know about God, then God could have been concocted from human minds. But thankfully, he's not. Now, Obviously, we should always strive to get things correct to the absolute best of our ability. Again, through prayer, through being led by the Holy Spirit, through our conversation with other, other people. But I, I want to give you an example. Uh, and, and first of all, hear me out. That, saying something wrong, simply saying something wrong does not constitute false teaching. And I'm going to give you a personal example. You don't have to turn there, but I want you to see this. I really enjoy studying the Ten Commandments. I always have for some reason. I know people say, well, Ten Commandments, that's just all that is. That's a list of do's and don'ts. I enjoy studying the, the Ten Commandments. And by the way, the Ten Commandments do not apply to you except for where they are repeated in the New Testament, okay? But I want to point out something to you. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, I think they're going to put it up here in just a minute, says, Do not misuse the name of the Lord your God, because the Lord will not leave anyone unpunished who misuses his name. Now, what's something that you think of when you think of that? A lot of times, and this is the way I taught it for a long time, we think of someone who misuses God's name as, as far as how we verbally speak it, how we verbally communicate it. You walk around in the house and you stub your toe on the corner of something and you say, oh my God. Or you get stuck in traffic and you use Jesus Christ's name in a derogatory way. Or perhaps you think of using God's name followed by a cuss word. Now I want to be very clear here and don't run out of here saying I'm a false teacher. Listen to what I'm getting ready to say, okay? I do not believe that's what God is communicating to us through this passage. Let me explain why. First of all, think about this for a second. If you read through the list of the Ten Commandments, okay, you can, you can get to that, and you could read that, and if you think that God is only referring to how you speak, how you communicate, then you could say, I will never do that. I will never, I am never going to misuse God's name in that manner. And you will think that you are actually more righteous than what you really are. That's the first issue. You will look down that list, and you'll say, I'm more righteous because I can keep that command. The other issue is this. God, when, if you if you have a relationship with Christ. If you believe in his death, burial, and resurrection, you have trusted in him for salvation, and you have a relationship with him, you bear the name of Christ. You have that name. That, you are a representative of Christ. Now, if I leave here as a representative of Christ, and I misrepresent God, guess what I've done? I've broken this command. I have misused the name of the Lord 
And the Lord's not going to leave that unpunished. If I go out, in other words, this command, what it's really referring to, it's saying that as a Christian, as a believer, if you do anything that misrepresents God, anything that causes someone to look at you and say, if that's what a Christian is, I want no part of that. If that's what they stand for, then I don't want to go to church with them. If that's who they really are, then I'm not going down there to Pole Creek. Now, when we think about it in those terms, how much more stringent, how much more of a weightier requirement is that than how we just verbally speak? Because I don't care if you've been a Christian for seven days or 70 years. Think about the times that you have went out, you've left your home, you've went into your place of business, you've went into your school, you've went into your extracurricular activity, and you have misrepresented the name of God. A lot. We've done it a lot. Now, I want to be very clear either, uh, as well. I am also not giving you the freedom to go out and use God's name flippantly however you want. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that the, the requirement there is actually much heavier. It's, it's a higher standard that God is calling to us to rather than just how you speak and how you communicate. Now, since I haven't always taught it, that way, what I just explained to you. Does that mean I'm a false teacher? Well, I would say no. I have done my absolute best through the study of Scripture to relay what I thought God was communicating to me. But as I've walked with Christ, as I have grown in my Christian faith, as I've studied more, I understand that there's more to it than just how I communicate, just how I speak. I'm not righteous just because I didn't get in traffic and use the Lord's name inappropriately. How I have carried and conducted myself is what makes me misuse the name of God and how I have bared his image. Teaching falsely is not something that always constitutes a false study. By the way, you, as you walk closely with Christ, as you study the Bible, as you are in your Bible study groups, you perhaps too will find some things that maybe you misinterpreted or you see differently, you see through a new light, stuff that holds a little bit more weight. Now, I would describe a false teacher as this. A false teacher is someone who doesn't hold to the core teachings and tenets of the Christian faith. It's like this, and I've used this analogy before with our students, and I, I love this analogy. It's a pretty good analogy. We live in the United States of America. We are a collective country comprised of 50 states. Now, we have local laws that apply here to us locally, Buncombe County. We have state laws that, that correspond and apply to us anywhere in the state of North Carolina. Those laws will change from area to area. You could go to another county, and some of those laws may not apply, you could go to another state. Some of the state laws that we recognize, you're not going to find in Tennessee or South Carolina or Georgia, for example. But then we have federal laws that are universally recognized, whether we're here in Canada, North Carolina, or we travel to California. In the same way, hear me on this, in the same way we have state laws as far as our Christian faith is concerned. We have a certain way that we believe about baptism. As Baptists, we believe baptism is fully submerged. Now, someone may not agree with us. That doesn't mean that we are a false teacher because we don't agree with them or they're a false teacher because they don't agree with us. Some people would disagree with how we do the Lord's Supper. Maybe we don't do it frequently enough or maybe we do it too frequently. Those are some of those state issues, okay? They're going to change from state to state. But then we have federal laws too. 
federal things that we hold true to that we can be uncompromising, we cannot be compromising on, we are uncompromising and unchanging on. Jesus Christ is God. Jesus Christ came and lived a perfect, blameless, sinless life for us so that we could have everlasting life found in him. He raised on the third day. We believe in the Trinity. There are things that we are uncompromising on that we cannot waver on concerning Christian faith. We can believe some different state issues, and that's okay. But there are things that we have to hold true to and we have to adhere to. Those are unchanging and uncompromising. A false teacher would be someone who doesn't recognize Jesus as the only way to heaven. A false teacher would perhaps claim that Jesus didn't rise from the dead or he didn't die for our sins. A false teacher would deny the Trinity. And I want to be very clear about this too. Sometimes it's going to be very subtle. Somebody's not going to stand up and just proclaim to not believe these things. It's going to be them subtly leading a church astray by what they believe. False teacher would be someone who says, you can be a Christian but you don't really have to follow the teachings of Christ. You can be a Christian, but you don't really have to deny yourself and have a relationship with Christ. We must be on guard against those types of things. We must be on guard against those types of things. So we've established that there are false teachers among us, and we will have false teachers, and we, or excuse me, we've established what a false teacher is and isn't. Now let's look at where these false teachers will be. In the second part of verse 1, Peter continues saying, they will bring in destructive heresies. There are false teachers throughout the world. We see many on TV. We see many uh, in different cults and sects of Christianity. Okay, But he's saying that we will see them here among us. There are many denominations that will add to the Word of God or take away the Word of God. That's why we see some of these cults break off. We have to combat those as well, but that's not exactly what Peter's talking about. Peter says they will bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them. Peter says these destructive heresies will be brought into the church. They will come into our midst. And we aren't talking about those people that we see on TV. And, and we do see it. I actually think about a story. We see it all the time. I think about a story back in 2015. There was a Zimbabwean pastor, if you even want to call him that. He actually got up in front of his congregation, and he claimed to have pins that would ensure your academic success for sale. You could buy these pins. Forget studying. Forget preparation. These pins, all you have to do is buy these pins. It's going to guarantee your academic success. There was a woman in his congregation who spent $10 on one of these pins, and she said, uh, she, she, uh, this was after, excuse me, after he claimed that the more money you parted with, the greater chance of the success. So we recognize that as a fraud. Another individual even said their son wasn't very bright, but with the knowledge the pin would bring from this man of God, she believed it was going to work. That could have been my mother. I'm not sure. <laughs> And actually, I come to think about times where I really could have used that pen. But seriously, we immediately, we hear things like that and we say, something doesn't add up. There's no way a pen is going to help you have more success academically. That's going to come through study and preparation. That was a fraud who was only out to steal money from the people he claimed to shepherd. That's it. And we easily recognize that as fraud. In the same way, we have to examine the things that are said within our local body and discern whether or not it is true and accurate according to the teachings of Christ. 
We can take sound bites all day long from things that don't sound right without having the full picture and the full context. There are certainly false teachers outside the church, and we need to be careful about who we listen to and who we allow to have influence in our lives. They will not, like I mentioned a minute ago, they will not come and boldly proclaim to be a false teacher. And like Satan, they will also have an element of truth to what they're saying. Thankfully, at Pole Creek, as I mentioned in the prayer earlier, we have a long history of solid biblical teaching. But that doesn't mean that we can ignore those things and just assume that everyone who comes through those doors is going to stand on those same unchanging gospel truths. Now, there's so much more that I want to say concerning false teachers because the Bible says a lot concerning false teachers. There is a lot of passages concerning false teaching. We must be on guard against those types of things. But I want to leave you with a couple of different things. First of all, I want to show you this $100 bill. This $100 bill is real, or at least I assume it is real. It was given to me by State Employees Credit Union. So if it's not real, I've got an issue with them. However, there are people out there who are tasked with understanding, discerning counterfeits because money's counterfeited. It's been a problem since the beginning of currency. But let me explain something to you. What they will do when someone is looking to see whether or not a bill is counterfeit is they aren't going to study a bunch of fake bills. They aren't going to get a stack of fake bills and go through each one in order to learn what is fake. What they're going to do is they're going to take this real $100 bill and they're going to study it. And they're going to familiarize themselves with the intricate details of this $100 bill. Where is the writing on this bill? Where is it supposed to be? Where is the watermark? What numbers are on this particular bill? How does it all line up? The new $100 bills have that ribbon inside of them. And you can actually mess with that ribbon and pull it out. They'll familiarize themselves with this bill, the true, real thing, in order to then be able to identify the fakes. What am I saying? I'm saying... As a church, as a body of believers, we need to be more concerned with knowing and understanding the real thing so that we can then discern false teaching among us. We don't need to only be concerned with looking at each individual and studying false teachers. Now, there, there's a place for that, but we need to familiarize ourselves with the teachings of Jesus Christ. What is Christ telling us to do? What are his teachings? And if we familiarize ourselves with this through prayer, through the Holy Spirit, through the study of Scripture, false teaching is going to become more evident to us. We will be able to, start to discern that through um, what we hear and see. And finally, or secondly, I want to leave you this. It's the, the fact that we're in impact handler currently. We are currently in our impact handler. And right now it is the adult's responsibility. The month of February is the adult's responsibility to invite people to church. And it is up to us students and kids, the children, to be praying for you. So you're supposed to be taking it upon yourself to invite your neighbors, your coworkers, your friends to church. We have an opportunity here. I want to tell you, this is something that we had, we had talked about before, the, the impact handler. We had talked about it long before we ever brought it, or Ben ever brought it to you all. But it's actually, it means a lot more to me now, hearing that statistic that I shared with you at the beginning of service. Only 2% of the churches in this country are willing to stand at a pulpit and proclaim biblical truths to their congregants. 
We have a job to do. We can't assume just because we live in Candler, North Carolina, and we're in the Bible Belt, and we know a lot of other believers, that people are going where they're, to where they're really being taught the teachings of Jesus Christ and gospel truths. Second Timothy says that there will come a time where people will only be interested in what they want to hear, and they're not going to listen to sound doctrine. We need to, we need to be impacting Candler. Now hear me out for just a second. There's been a lot of talk about false teaching this morning. There is false teaching everywhere. I hear things sometimes that just, I'm just like, man, that's not, that doesn't line up with the word of God. We could literally preach on this for weeks and weeks because there's so much biblically concerning it. We could talk about certain individuals. We could look at some false teaching, some false doctrine that we see in some churches. But I want to be honest with you. It is imperative that we all take a long, hard look at ourselves. What are the things that we believe about Christ? I was laying in bed Friday night, and it was about 1 o'clock in the morning, and I was going over this sermon. And I was just kind of figuring some things out and going through it and looking it over. And I came across an article that actually was about 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. And the title of this particular thing, was this particular article, was... Seven traits of a false teacher. And of course, we don't have time this morning to go through each and every one. But I do want to point your attention to the fourth one on that list. The fourth point that they made on this list said that false teachers had different character. And it says that those people will produce a different kind of message. And it went on to say that true believers, okay, a true believer will pursue goodness, knowledge, Self-control, perseverance, godliness, kindness, and love. It says that the counterfeit Christian is marked by arrogance and slander. They are experts in greed. They despise authority. That is a general characteristic of a counterfeit believer. And I think about times in my life where those characteristics have been evident in me. Concerning false teaching, the first one that I need to take a long, hard look at is me. What am I teaching concerning the things of Jesus Christ? My prayer is that we seek to pursue those things that identify us as, as having traits of a true believer. Let's pray.